Here we go. Okay. I, some of this might be bad. I don't know, but I'll just do it. <clears throat> Ask what the podcast mantra is, Ron. <laughs> some of this might be bad, but I'm going to do it anyway. Welcome to... It seems like Goddard's mantra as well. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to MoobTube. This week, we return to our four-part Jean-Luc Godard season. We've done his 60s New Wave classics. We've done his painful protest propaganda. And now we're steering into his mid-career. Through the 80s and early 90s, Jean-Luc Godard made a feature film pretty much every year. When we meet him in this era, he's in his 50s, settled down with partner and frequent collaborator Anne-Marie Mierville. He's balding, like, very correct correct observation. Um, And he's still got plenty to say. Mm. Prenom Carmen from 1983 throws two tortured lovers into a botched bank robbery subplot. Carmen retreads some of the criminal antics of his new wave classic Bond Apart, but he swaps the Hollywood mimicry for a more elegiac approach. Prenom Carmen's simple storyline leads us into a luscious image perm of savage seas, monstrous motorways, and a renewed, more anguished lust for flesh, while Beethoven's best string quartets bubble beneath. Hail Mary is a classic bit of conception core. Goddard's Virgin Mary is a bashful... (laughs) Goddard's Virgin Mary is a bashful basketball player sliding out of the clutches of her cock-blocked boyfriend, Joseph. It's at the petrol station where she works that the angel Gabriel blesses Mary's belly with a messianic bump. Explaining all this to a boyfriend with blue balls and a society of skeptics nearly takes her over. Hélas pour moi is an absolutely insane movie that makes no sense, but it is strangely (laughs) compelling. (laughs) Yes, the end. There are parables, there is a collage of conflicting voiceovers, and an undercurrent of desire and lost memory. And crucially, Mm -hmm. it's in Owen's top 10 films of all time. Yes, it is. Owen joins me as ever. Do these films reveal the ripening of a tumescent talent? Or, Owen, are they merely a muddled midlife mishmash? Wow, that's incredible. Um, That was a really leading question, but a fantastic introduction. Um, Yeah, I I feel like you've put me on on the spot in the the kind of limelight because you said it, hello, pour moi, um, alas, oh, oh, woe is me, um, Mm -hmm. is in my top 10, yes. I think the interesting thing to say about Godard at this period um, is that he's come fresh off the boat of revolution. He's just stepped off the battleship Prochemkin. Um, he's gone through a period where he threw his kind of, you know, his aesthetic principles or kind of like conventions of, of filmic and cinematic beauty and genre completely under the bus. Um, you know, his cinema of, of the revolutionary period um, See previous messy. episode. See previous episode was messy, technicolor, kind of splurged, bright. It was like poster paint. Um, it was film in poster paint. Yeah. Uh, sh- often shot very cheaply. Um, this is a return to, in a way, the kind of cinema circuit. It's kind of a return to the fold. Um, and, you know, today, you know, I was like, I shared that um, link to that uh, Paul Verhoeven, uh, his kind of uh, Bernadetta, uh, his kind of late career return to film. It's a very kind of trad, um, anguished film about... Um, nuns and sex and desire non-exploitation a bit of lesi-exploitation it's shot in a very conventional way it's very beautiful there's often a thing where directors as they reach kind of midlife and beyond kind of try to to make a legacy statement in their film and they might become more traditional and in a way Goddard does this during this period because one thing that connects these films is the sublime and mm. God, you know, these, these, these are religious films. Whereas in, this, in the kind of 70s, he was looking squarely at, at the superstructure. He was looking at Lenin and Marx and Mao. He's now literally looking at not just God in a kind of capital G theistic sense, but in a uh, Greek mythology sense, which is Halapomwa. What about um, the early, the 60s films? How do they compare in terms of their focus? Well, their focus is on genre. Their focus is on mm. film. You yeah, know, that's a filmmaker wanting to make film. I think it's that simple um, you bending genre to his own will. Science fiction, the 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 rebellious movie that you talked about, you know, Bande Par, uh, romance. Romance has always been pre- uh, present in um, Goddard's films. But the key thing in for this this period, you know, is say eighty three to ninety three. That's kind of like ten year period. Is that um, he is for the first time really. His um, protagonists are. Um, human, mm. actually, is uh, even though he retains. I'm sure we'll talk about it. He retains the uh, 
angular, a, you know, asynchronous uh, and, and, you know, kind of noisy nature of his filmmaking that he learned in the 60s and 70s, that his characters are more human. Uh, they have real, their dialogue is more tender, their, their emotions are more real. There's a return to kind of composition and framing, which might be considered beautiful, but they're still identifiably Godard films, not mm. least because, you know, um, Prenom Kamen, Godard is a character in the film, Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a a a film director who is it, uh, trying to stay in a mental hospital. Um, he he claims to be mad, and they're trying to kick him out because uh, he's maybe not mad. Um, so yeah, that's classic position of the artist. Classic position of the artist wants to be that rails against society. And wants to be called a madman. They say he's not a madman. Um, it's interesting. So for me, yeah, these that's how I would kind of draw the circle, draw the wagons around these films and say they are human. Um, they have, they're much more uh, focused on, on humanity, the human condition. Uh, they're linked, as you alluded to with Blue Balls, they're linked to desire and frustrated desire and the anguish of desire, mm. uh, consummated and unconsummated. There's still a concern with film and the making of film. Film is a question about film but they are much more human um, and beautiful in the way that um, Buddha Soufflé was beautiful. Um, maybe more so, actually. They're probably his most beautiful films. Um, in yeah, they Do hark you, back yeah. to Le Mepri for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, actually, no, no. The Mepri, I'd almost forgotten like about. Highly constructed beauty. Mm. Aiming at the sublime, using repetition to elicit a kind of spiritual experience, using yeah. the boundaries of the start and the stop of the take, um, and the boundaries of what is in the frame, what is in the mm. diegesis of the film, to uh, to stimulate like yeah. intrigue and curiosity and excitement. You, and you're and right. Death. He's 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 more diegetic here than he ever has been, um, and the non-diegetic still plays a part. Um, the ir- the the kind of um, misaligned shot with voice and music you know yeah. you still get these bursts of classical violins well, let's talk about pranam karma you know. like yeah the, the the first of um the three that we're gonna look at which is uh 83 yeah, yeah. Um, i mean let, i mean like just just i mean i, I said it because it because because he uses these shots of a, a quartet playing one of the, the string yeah. quartets by beethoven and that's the that's the diege- that's the non-diegetic music and then it mm-hmm. becomes diegetic when you see this quartet who aren't part of the main narrative at all but part of the film is watching them repeatedly rehearse um yeah. and um but let's talk because i'm very conscious that these are very underseen films and they're not very they're not widely so, available maybe. i mean we watch these on torrents um <coughs> i don't think you can- <laughs> I don't think you can um parody. I don't think you can really like see these on like Amazon Prime or whatever. Like No, you don't see them screened either. I did a cursory um little browse through BFI player. Uh and it's you know the the Godard we know is the Godard of the 60s and that's how history has framed him. Um terrible you know, like, because I mean no, not terrible. Yeah. They're good films but <laughs> like yeah. but like it's terrible that this era is so neglected, but specifically mm. these three films. I think they're three of Godard's most interesting films yeah. um Prenom and Hail Mary in my opinion are like two of his two of his greatest you know yes easily. um Hellas Pomoir as well but I it dif- it differently so because Hellas Pomoir is more more typically like an embodiment of Godard the experimental filmmaker whereas mm. Hail Mary and Pranam Carmen are more traditional um films that still carry through I'd say Hail Mary is the film that would most, if if you came onto the scene with Hail Mary as your debut or whatever, mm. this would be the the, big, the the start of a striking new voice in art house cinema. That, yeah, it's an interesting this would be one. Your people, say, film. people say this about Bob Dylan that like his late like he has to work so much, and Leonard Cohen as well. Like their later work, like if this was a new artist, it would mm. be like a breakthrough. But it's just like. For them it's just like yeah. a genius doing another quite genius thing oh, it's like weeding out <laughs> another although although talking about hail mary because hail mary came with a storm of controversy mm. you know uh godard it's very easy to say godard is a controversial filmmaker but how controversial were breathless how controversial was weekends it was it was feeding a story to a revolutionary as it were audience young 
yeah, yeah. How Murray you know, really put the cat among the pigeons? It really did because this is a story of the, the immaculate conception of uh, Joseph and Mary, um, set in eighties Switzerland. Uh, Mary works at a gas station uh, or lives at a gas station with a father who pumps gas. Her boyfriend is this Joseph is this layabout dropout who drives a taxi and looks a lot like Goldar in the sense of he's got these sunglasses all the time. Um, the kind of controversy that was caused by the film, I think, partly was a. Um, profane retelling of a holy story in france you know a very catholic country um and it was uh told a story where mary was not a willing vehicle for for the body of of the savior she she's an unhappy and uncomfortable body joseph is not the follower necessarily he is because he really wants to fuck he's so down to fuck and most of the film is him about her negotiating her body with him that's yeah there are these amazing moments of touch i mean it's one of the hardest things Mm. to talk about in an audio format but like the way that he moves his hand towards her belly and she says Mm. no not like that you know and he he says i love you and touches her belly and she doesn't like it and then only when Mm. he says i love you while pulling away does she sort of accept his touch it's Mm. like only in pulling away is, is my is your touch accepted and that like that's just very haunting i mean it's so mm. the, the 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 use of gesture in all of these films in all of them even la um th- these are films where where godard's use of gesture really comes into its own i want to talk yeah. about yeah like two well three key elements like the use of gesture which i think mm. is absolutely profound and extraordinary and like yeah, yeah, it, it never is, was before it got up. Yeah, yeah, it, it it takes on this. I mean, there are amazing bits in Breathless with like the smacking of the ass and like, you know, like funny little details. But like, yeah, in these films, gest- is a gesture phenomenological is phenomenological cinema. Yeah, yeah. G- gesture enters the sublime in these films. The, the way he uses touch and movement and looking and you know that even that bit mm. at the end of how Ma- how Mary where she's like deciding whether or not to put the lipstick on. I mean, we'll talk about it yeah, that significant the significance of that scene yeah. later. But like. That use of gesture, absolutely extraordinary. Um, the second thing is intertitles, which I think Godard, it's Godard's weirdest thing, intertitles. I don't really yep. know why he uses intertitles so most, much. Most, most, dis- like, most, um, <laughs> they're the most characteristic part of a Godard film. They're so ways. characteristic. They're probably the least, least talked about part of a Godard film. But they do so little for me. I, I, I really mm. want to throw that out there. Like, I don't really know. I, I think all of Godard's films would be just as good without no, him fanning no, around with intertitles. <laughs> I, I completely screwed that. But these, these also, these films um, <laughs> uh, reject his more extreme use of intertitles from the 60s mm. and even early 70s. Uh, they don't play you such a decisive role. I hear you because, for, you know, remember for a large part, Godard was interested in the language of film. He was interested mm-hmm. in semiotics. He's interested in film, visual film as a language. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to deconstruct that language. He was interested in how language as spoken and written language mm-hmm. could also be co- deconstructed in order to convey and break apart messages that you were receiving as a viewer. And that was, that's kind mm-hmm. of Goddard's thing, right? That's his yeah. bag. So intertitles play a really key role. You know, in early silent film, um, you know, if you're watching... Uh, Murnau or something, it's the intertitle tells you what's kind mm. of about to happen or is telling you what is just a, what is happening or is about to happen. And it kind of it's another way from breaking the conventions of cinema while bringing it back to its filmic roots. It's a very essential part of cinema. Um, but they also disrupt because they remind you that this is a story. It reintroduces narrative. It reintroduces the mythic into his films. And I think in Hail Mary is a very pared down version of that. Um, and when we see Pran Carmen, it's a very pared down version of that. We we see very little of it in uh, Pranon, but in, in Hail Mary we get uh, at that time, um, mm. which is every, this repeated every, refrain. That's the only title it, really, it's just at that time happens. At that time, and it, it kind of reminds you, it, it kind of pulls you out of the story and reminds you there's a, a mythic, there's a telling happening. Um, which is quite interesting. It's that push and pull between the the embodied phenomenological gestures that you were talking about, the the tender story of love and agony of love, and the mythic story that he's also telling. I mean, okay, so go on. So you've got number two, which was intertitles, I think. Yeah. And your third point was the use of sound, the use of use music, of sound, and yeah. sa- the the way that voiceover, mainly voiceover and music. So yeah, like non-diegetic yeah. sound intervene. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you yeah. said this to me on WhatsApp, like the um, the 
the obviousness of his musical choices and how like you you think that would be a disaster like mm. and we and we often talk it's like it's just a, it's like he's the master of like weaponizing cliche god in in, in, in every yeah. in every era mm. of his work where he's good um and and it, it's it's often a criticism people make of of um art that uses music um oh well you know i've heard that piece of music so many times so like you know it maybe if i hadn't heard that piece of music so often i would think it yep. was original or i think i would like it goddard completely sidesteps ever feeling that because he yep. uses really obvious pieces of music all the time they, they may not <laughs> Beethoven, be yeah Bach, and they're like in the cool. yeah and like um hail mary like doo -doo -doo. like I, sometimes i don't even know these pieces of music but i've heard them like literally on fucking the simpsons you know what i mean like oh, they're like yeah, yeah. they're like classic bits of drama that like yeah but he deploys them with such boldness i think mm. it's just is like it's just i've said this on the pod before like it's better to be obvious than original and i think like he does yeah. obviousness with such self-awareness it's it's yeah. absolutely phenomenal i, I love it because i think i think it's interesting yeah these these are, these are more consciously about music these films as well which is interesting because we see particularly in pranon carmen because we see it's carmen is obviously a fucking bizet opera but we also see the the quartet practicing and then they become part of they're folded into part of the story um mm -hmm. But yeah, you, you know, normally music uh, is used to manipulate the viewer. It's told you where how to feel at this particular moment, mm. right? And it's it's the stock and trade of um, Netflix teen Netflix dramas and stuff. You know, it's like someone's having a heart to heart, so we get the swelling piano, sad music. It it's supposed to set the scene for how you feel as a viewer, but here it kind of doesn't because you, you might get very banal. Um, events occurring on screen uh, you know in in um, Hail Mary you get a girl just looking out the window and kind of playing with the Rubik's Cube um, kind of distractedly but you've got this intense fucking Dvorak just blasting <laughs> fucking over the top of it and it kind of stops before the scene stops mm. it's this asynchronized music and it for me that always indicates this slipping it's the slipping through of the sublime into the banal the sacred kind of the sacred interacting with the profane and the profane interacting with the sacred in difficult ways because like these these films of this period i think are the sublime reaching out to normal profane life um and kind of being unable to understand it or engage with it properly and profane life trying to seek meaning and sublime and struggling and falling on its face as well you know hail mary is a really good example of that um, because it's, there's actually a parallel narrative where you've got a, a a professor who's believed he has been able to identify uh, uh, creating original intelligence behind the universe. And he's kind of fucking one of his students, a bit confusing. Um, and he's trying to find God. He believes he's isolated the electromagnetic signal re released from a particular kind of organism. He calls it a bacteria, actually. So for him, God is a bacteria, but he believes he's identified a structuring intelligence behind life and the universe. But he's been outcast from his university. They say he's exiled. Uh, his life is just this kind of mess and we see fragments of it. And he's just this disordered kind of character. He fails to find a sublime because he wants it. Whereas Mary, who does not want the divine, she's just an ordinary girl. She's thrust basketball. upon her, trying to play basketball. The divine, the sublime is thrust upon her. She does not want it. And you know, the, the, the film resolves itself by kind of saying that to want something, is counter to finding it it's a very like weird zen like theory that kind of goddard is pushing at this time for, you know, for such a, a pa impassioned brutal director in some ways he's kind of saying no to, to want to show something to want to understand something is to to fail it will be thrust upon <laughs> yeah. you and you will then struggle to understand it and that's the anguish of these films of these periods and for him it might it, it might not be about god i think god is just the most convenient cliche as it were it's another one of his cliches it's like the the um the crime drama it's just another one of cliches no that's to do him discredit i think he is having a, a, a i think he is a sublime thinker no um, it is sublime but yeah. i think yeah I, th I don't think god comes into play in quite the way that like you know a kind of a, a religious leader who is offended mm. by hail mary might think it would um yeah. <laughs> but like i think that the way um you're absolutely right about this this mary having this baby thrust upon her it's like it's like it creates in her this intensified ambivalence 
Mm. Um, and all of Godard's best work, I mean, Vivre Savi is a, is a perfect um, precursor yep. to this, you know, about like a woman who, who gets start, starts doing prostitution and, and her ambivalence and her like desire, but like her repulsion and, and, and the decisions she makes and the kind of mm. decisions she doesn't feel she's making. And, you know, all of that sort of weird mixture, you know, that's what film is uniquely placed to capture, you know, because mm. film doesn't provide an internal monologue. Film doesn't tell you what people's motivations are. They just show, it just shows yeah. you their actions. Um, and I think these films are like masterful depictions of that ambivalence, particularly mm. Hail Mary, because she becomes, you know, so like all the things she says, like when she says, oh, you know, he's like, why, why didn't you kiss me? And she's like, I do kiss you. And yeah, the moments when she draws <laughs> yeah. draws his sexual, you know, his um, hand in. I mean, the, well, there's, there's, well part, there's, there's something I want to say about feminism. Always, 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 oh, a, worry. Well, always, go, always a worrying sign. The Joe Rogan experience uh, <laughs> has begun. <laughs> but um, but I just want to mention the lipstick because that's another amazing mm. moment of ambivalence. At the end, of the very end of Hail Mary, she, um, you know, she's had the baby. Spoiler alert: she's had the baby. <laughs> she's happy the baby is is mm. kind of like a messiah um and she's just in the car on her own and she the, the angel gabriel sort of like you know kind of cat calls her basically um and then she <laughs> then yeah. she sits um she sits in her car she pulls out this lipstick and she looks as if she's not gonna use a lipstick and then she decides to yeah. use a lipstick and it's shot in various different cuts some of it out of focus some of it in focus yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's like this heavenly moment where she decides um and i don't really like symbolism and meaning or whatever but like uh -oh. you know she's deciding she's gonna fuck you know that she's gonna she's maybe DTF at this she's point. maybe gonna be a yeah, you see her you know like put the putting the... on the lipstick means she's like embracing mm. her her fleshy bodily form you know she's no longer just a kind of a soulful like you know mm. a virgin, the holy no virgin. virgin yeah and that's the kind of the ambivalence you were talking about structures this film and even the ambivalence of the godhead that is reaching out you know gabriel you mentioned uncle gabriel who's accompanied by a small um uh precociously intelligent child um gabriel's this kind of it's he continues the typical again the the Godardian um, character type of the kind of insane interloper. Mm. You know, a lot especially in this film, this series of films, you get the the kind of mad interloper into a world um, for whom chaos and disorder are kind of a norm, and they create a lot of kind of there's a lot of irrational pushing and pulling. In 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 you know, it's uh, Lemmy Caution in Alphaville. Mm -hmm. who enters Alphaville and just chucks shit around and kicks people over and just generally causes chaos. It's that character. Here, got, you know, he turns up to Mary's... Um, and he's just shouting and yelling. And Joseph, he keeps pushing Joseph around. He holds Joseph's head down like a dog. He goes, no, because Joseph is trying to touch her. He's like, no, this is the law. And he's kind of this avuncular character, but he's not a kindly, like, um, mm. person. He's this chaotic, weird figure. Um, I think it comes back to... because. Goddard, no, no, let's go back to the lipstick. You're right, because he, he catcalls her. It's great. You hear the church bells, and he's, he kind of catcalls her. He's like, hey, lady, hey, lady, what the fuck? <laughs> and he's like, and he says, hail Mary. <laughs> and it's done with such kind of like irony and, you know, like like it almost means nothing. Like the holiness yeah. almost means nothing. And you when you actually see the, the kid, the Messiah, the, the, he's just almost this Damien-like figure. He's quite a weird little child you know because he's got the burden and he kind of like yeah. quotes bits of jesus he from looked, from yeah. the new testament at his parents <laughs> and they're like no stop that stop that <laughs> it's very good it's got it's got that thing he he's done the tender thing and it could be a very pious holy film about uh you know god is with us in the modern age but it's not because god is still making jokes yeah and i guess expense. it's kind of more about women's role in society and mm. whether whether a woman can you know because she plays basketball she's and the irony in there in that basketball is that like basketball netball. is like is like a bloke's game really like netball's mm. the more girly version she's doing she's doing a kind of she's an act being an active she's being a jock basically she's like tall mm. she's a bit horsey like she's playing the but but then again the they're all wearing these really short like shorts and like it is i like, think that's quite it's not sexualized though it's not bit, sexualized it? but it's on that kind of knife edge of being mm, like right. a lot of the things that happen and a lot of things she does are like like when she's getting her her, her pussy examined by the gynecologist guy like 
it's like it's yeah. not sexual but it's like so close to being sexual it, it, yeah and you're 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 complicit it problematizes your own god yeah self, you're so watching discourse. it thinking like you're oh, watching that's, it that's but he's like not doing hot. it in yeah it's kind of hot and he's not doing it in a cultural wars way he's doing it in a it's not to like go oh actually you know you were aroused by that so you're bad he's saying you're aroused by that because this is sex this is a this is an erotic drama that's yeah he's how it's bringing the erotic into the spiritual into the holy oh, that's why that's there. why upset all the priests i'm sure that's because they were had hard-ons I had massive rages. I mean, that's the thing because like, the Catholic Church in particular has always been erotic. You know, the the worship of of the Virgin Mary and the worship of the Virgin has always been sexualized. Um, mm. This is a highly erotic activity. The Church, not only when and- it diddles kids, um, but the <laughs> actually it's funny with with the there was a bomb plot um, against this film. Supposedly there was the threat of a bomb being oh, wow. sent to the uh, John McGuffin film production office. Or alleged. That, like, um, to, I suppose it's France. You know, they love a good. It's bomb, France. They? they love bombing. And also, he was uh, at Berlin. I think Berlin Film Festival. He was um, pied. Um, he was cream pied, lads. Um, <laughs> by, pied there's in a the good face video. By a pied in the face. Oh uh, yeah. Um, there's, it's actually I shared the video the other day, but it got lost in a mix of messages. But he, 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 he it was actually caught on camera, um, wow. sort of shitty VHS news camera. But he gets pie and it's it's John Goddard, so he does a little interview and he's just like licking the pie off his face and eating it. And looks very happy, <laughs> and he says something. But the video I saw wasn't translated, so we may throw the video out there into the ether. And if any of our uh, delightful followers speak French, if they could translate mm. what John Goddard says, I would absolutely die to hear we'll it. We'll read it out um, on the fourth Goddard show. <laughs> yeah, we will. Um, but yeah, so there, the, the, you know, the controversy here is he was eroticizing something, making the mixing the sacred and the profane. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Pranon Carmen, again, he is taking a another very famous opera, probably one of the most famous operas mm-hmm. um, by Bizet, eighteen seventy-five, um, and he is making it absurd he's setting it in modern day france i actually think that um do you actually do you agree i felt like pronoun comment had the most weekend energy in it yes yeah because of the way it sort of deploys violence Mm. in quite a i mean there is something odd about the way goddard does violence like the way he does it's like it is a bit like an opera in a way it's Mm. it's quite it's got a strange stilted theatrical approach where it's just it's just clearly a bunch of people who's been blanks. ordered around to do stuff it's he does he does like mass violence in the way that like mm. pornographers do sex like it's just so like kind of brash and fun and yet functional pumping uh, the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way that the way that the, i mean the bank and that's why it's so amazing in the in the in the bank robbery scene at the uh, towards the start mm. of um uh of pranam carmen just to, just for listeners who haven't seen pranam carmen like one of the central plot lines of of i called it subplot in the intro but like it because mm. it's not as important as the romance but it precedes the romance um is this bank robbery that this that very glamorous uh, girl carmen is part of this crew of mm. bank robbers and there's a sort of shootout um where she runs a lot uh, uh, runs into this security guard who's, who's who's armed who's been gunning down some of her comrades and um they he um her she's got a gun and her or one of them's got a gun and the gun fails and then they chase and they chase and they fall down some steps and they sort of roll around in fights but then the rolling around in fight becomes very intimate hey, and, and yeah. sexual and then the rest of the film is their sort of very anguished romance uh while you know while he's um he goes on trial mm-hmm. um for collaborating in the in the bank robbery and um yeah it's 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 a yeah it's i mean it's it is got that it's got i mean you see that in two Fabian as well with the the, the cops running into the carrefour after mm. everyone's stolen everything you know it yeah. is this this, this kind of orchestrated violence that controlled has a chaos controlled chaos i, I mean it's yeah. a perfect contradict you know contradiction yeah. isn't it yeah. um because, so yeah, yeah. it's, it's You've got you've got um, the uh, indifference of the cleaner who, while people are laying around in their own blood, is just mopping the blood up. That's uh, very weekend. That is very. It's weekend. very weekend. There's also the bit when he's kind of like it repeats the scene where he runs down this um, corridor, firing off his gun, kind of at nothing. Um, and there's a guy on the floor. There's someone dead. 
there's someone like weeping and there's a guy who's just putting numbers into a calculator mm. lying on the floor and it repeats it twice and he kind of falls over a, a cabinet uh, and again it's I always think there's something interesting because you mentioned about um, gesture and immediately when you say gesture in French film I think Bresson but mm. obviously Bresson was like no actors no staging um, in a way or total staging from him but no um, no acting from his his characters and I think in a way like Godard kind of manages that it's much more controlled obviously Godard's control here they are it's a very studied almost manneristic way of deploying it but there's a kind of weird synergy I hate to use that word but synergy between them um, but one thing with the violence you know is it, it is indifferent before that for Godard's violence is always way harder hitting than the, the sheer brutality and indifference of it um, is way harder hitting than a film that is going for, you know, a film like classically Spielberg doing Saving Private Ryan, a film which mm. kind of like pushed the envelope for what was considered uh, acceptable in terms of depicting violence in Hollywood film. You know, it's, it's a kind of largely forgettable film um, and its violence is, is forgettable. Even at the time, it was like, oh god, you know, this is this is the new frontier of of, of gore and cinema. But it's, it, the violence is is unforgettable because it's sentimentalized. Um, you know, it's like, oh, my buddy's dead, and let's have a five minute cry sesh. Whereas in Godard, it's literally just gunning a motherfucker down. But like, then it becomes sentimental in this really profound way. Like they, mm, yeah, on, on yeah. both occasions, they, the the bank the bank robbers. Um, have like the bank robbery or the shoot up has this um has this kind of cold violence that then turns into tenderness yeah and from being from coming out of coldness it feels even warmer and and more powerful it's kind yeah. of extraordinary that it is extraordinary how it ricochets between uh those those poles it doesn't it doesn't it's not middle of the road you know it doesn't stay i think um Obviously, it's quite close to the the story of Carmen. Um, what do you think about the bit where he just like goes into the shower and like wanks trust, off, wanks off on her leg? Yeah. It's quite incredible. It's quite shocking because, um, in a way, like I've never seen really... anything like that in a film. No, Maybe I, I have, either, but it was just quite something about the way it was done. Like but it's this... kind of too pathetic to be a full on rape. It's just like this, mm. and he's. I know he's not got a hard on. I don't know if that's like it. I guess it's Could like you in front of a. I always think this is a this is a very moved to you comment to make, but like, could you get a stiffy? <laughs> but like, actors in non-pornographic film mm. don't tend to get erect. No, they use cock standing. I think, so, sometimes. and sometimes they use like a prosthetic cock, Brea, um, for example, like Brea in Fat Girl. Some some of her films she uses real pornographic actors like Rocco Freddy, but yeah, um, but. So sometimes, there, but there are some sex scenes in films where the, the cock is not erect, and you sort of think, well, it kind of would be, yeah, in, real life, in, in, the, if it, in this situation. It's almost um, not about sex; it's his own, um, his own. But in this shot, it's almost like it's like he is he is not. It's that sort of yeah. He's trying to be. He's trying to recapture this flame. He's also trying to punish her, but none of it is mm. coming. None of it is, is no, coming, coming to life. Literally. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of this real pathetic... Because um, um, she abandons him, basically, for, in favour of her. In, in common, it's a uh, bullfighter. Right, um, right. She abandons him for... He's, he is a soldier. He, she abandons... She, in common, she's a kind of fiery gypsy character. Right. Um, I had no knowledge of the opera Carmen. I should have oh, okay. done some research before this pod, but uh, sorry. I was happy enough. I assumed the film was so loosely based on it that it would just confuse things to try and find out about the opera. It's pretty tightly. It's pretty tightly based okay. on it. There's there's not much in the the, the skeleton is the same broadly. Um, and in, you know, Carmen was quite a uh, revolutionary opera in its own right. Um, it, like I always say it's about things that happen in like the late 19th century or 20th century like right of spring but it scandalised audiences at the time um, it <laughs> wish was, I could scandalise an audience I wish I could scandalise some of it uh, it was yeah scandalised audiences it was uh, it took a long time for Carmen to become like the staple of opera that it has become like uh, Bizet died um I think on like the 33rd performance of it unaware that it would become this like juggernaut in opera like Carmen is always fucking on it's just one of those things who could um, you scandalise these days though really 
uh, like the people you get Hannah the most Gats- Hannah Gatsby yeah that's what I mean right like, <laughs> but like the Netflix woke but no you can't because they're already ready to be scandalised and scandalised over everything like it would be very hard to sc- I think you'd have to the only way to scandalise someone is to deconstruct a dearly cherished um, norm and I don't think people have those anymore no. I don't know. I think we do have what norms. We have like, well, we have loads of conformity and stuff that we're not really aware of. I mean, no one ever really is aware of that conformity. Child knows. porn. There we go. That's scandalous. <laughs> that's the last final frontier. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. You could just pick something awful. Like, yeah, you, know, you could pick something taboo, but with porn. but like, but I mean, I, there is something. There is something. In, yeah. There's something in our society right now that, like, if you look back on like mm. 2021, right? Like, I just wonder what the works the works will be the artworks mm. that scandalized society i don't know because none of this Godard none of the con- none of the sort alive. of up and coming contemporary artists are making i'm not saying that obviously i'm not saying that something has to scandalize contemporary society no. to be good but if you look no. up, back on any era there will be people doing extraordinary work well you have like i think the like scandal comes really up- from legitimacy now like the scandal comes from legitimacy it's like this is not a x like it's this is not music this is that's the we're actually back to really basic questions about um love him or hate him someone like jordan wolfson has managed to i guess scandalize people a bit but a lot of it came down to oh this isn't really art though is it like internet art can often scandalize amelia allman amalia allman sorry you've got these kind of people that but again but it comes down really to scandalize they anyway. don't scandalize no it's just it frustrates people within that clique within that world and going oh well it's not but then really, they make loads really... of money and loads of people buy it i don't think any of, exactly I no i mean I god I don't know can... maybe this god is, is still alive bit... though you know so yeah he, i mean he's he still making one more in him he's yeah he's definitely got one more in him um can we talk uh, about Hello, can you talk about Hello Pomoir? Because you, you said to me, you like you did a very glib intro, which I loved, but you're like, you know, it's, film, <laughs> it's baffling or whatever word you used. So what was your reaction to Hello Pomoir? Because I know we've been neglecting it. It's the elephant in the room. It is the elephant in the room. Well, very well put. Um, I mean... Take time. Hello Pomoir is... I, I, what I recall of it is like lots of green landscapes, lots mm-hmm. of these Pizarro-ish. I mean, in a lot of the films, there's the kind of Pizarro, um, uh, like vistas of, of French countryside. This is Swiss countryside in Hellas Um When I read the Wikipedia synopsis for Hellas Pomoir today, having watched it last night um, for the second time, uh, I was just like, so baffled because very little of what almost nothing of what was in the wikipedia synopsis felt like something Mm. i saw in that film no the Uh, wikipedia synopsis is not helpful well yeah but i mean i just watched it and i was loving bits of it and kind of letting it glaze over me and I thought the way that the sound panned, you've got different voices coming in on left mm. and right. The way images come in is so beautiful. The opening is just like, it's just one of the best openings to any film ever. It, it's just extraordinary yeah. the way that story is told in this repetitious way. And then you have this amazing tracking shot um, that, that, that glides into this, like a beautiful this shot of this, of, this, like it. of this girl, like watching over the lake. Um, you know, but I, this is the thing. I'm not challenging you for like, it's not like the Hodorowsky episode. Like, <laughs> I'm not challenging you. I'm it's like, actually, I'm like a, a wondering. It is I'm, ad- and you I'm are, admiring you for liking it. Like when you put that you in your top 10. God, this way. When, yeah, when you put that in your top 10, Hellas Pomoir, I was like, fucking legend. Because like, <laughs> I, I want, I aspire to like, be able to just bathe in that film. Because well, there are thing, so, you're supposed to bathe. so many extraordinary moments to it. You know, you were supposed to be a bit more because, um, yeah, the 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 a- asynchronicity, the use of intertitles, the abruptness of mm. his editing style here, and yeah, I got shit for talking about Pissarro the other day, but it's true. Like, it's a very this is actually in some ways Goddard his most mannered. Mm. Re- you know, obviously recalling that Pissarro was like of the impressionists, kind of considered a bit of a funny duddy and. His his paintings excelled in this grisaille that's kind of grey. I mean, this and whole era the, of Godard, by the way, is like deeply painterly, deeply painterly, right? And it's like whereas, say, Prenom and 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 maybe how Mary it, it kind of excel in this this piss yellow often. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and these very studied rooms, depictions of fruit and, and vegetables, still lives. Um, here, yeah, you've got it's on again on the Swiss lakes. Um, you know, remembering that Godard is Swiss um, or half Swiss. Um, with with Hellapomois, it's similar to Hail Mary. It uh, is a story about a god supposedly fucking a woman, taking on the form of her, um, her boyfriend, her partner, and fucking her. Um, and like Carmen, it is a myth, you know, kind of a, a legendary story because this is Greek mythology, you know, Zeus coming down from the heavens, taking on the body of a swan or whatever, or a bull and fucking someone for some, some unknown reason. Um, and yeah, plot-wise, it's baffling, it's confusing, it's kind of like a, a murder mystery. There's a man who wants to decipher what's happened. It's kind of playing with genre, but again, in such a sublime and abstract way. This is as close as uh, Goddard gets to, um, I think, pure cinematic expressionism within the confines of his impressionistic you know, limitations of film without going full brackage on the world. He's extremely expressionistic here in his editing style. And that's what I love about this film. It's what pulls me in. It's, it's, it's arresting, it's deeply watchable. I watched it without subtitles, not that I speak French, but um, today I was like scrubbing and just enjoying the look. Um, there's a, these, these de Depardieu, there's these, these kind of grating, gravelly, um, voiceovers which kind of pulls you back to Alphaville in a way you know with the computer kind of going on there's all this there's all this like great shit happening in it um it is about I think there was a uh thing I read maybe it was on Wikipedia or somewhere else but saying you know the the script began life with Godard um taking a train in Switzerland and thinking he wanted to make a film about God traveling on a train and watching the struggles of humanity from the train windows he drove through all these places and it turned out to be impossible to do because it would be a bit heavy on the special effects not really his thing um but this is this is gain what I was saying earlier the ambivalence of God God or the gods trying to observe and interact with humanity mm. humanity trying to find the sublime and react to the sublime both of them failing the beauty being in the failure um, and that's why it's part of his sublime era for us yeah we should name this is the sublime this is like Godard the sublime I was going to call it play. the sexy era but maybe we should call it the sublime era it is sexy though isn't it there's it a lot is of like, like it's like a, it's as we said earlier it's combining <laughs> the sexy with the sublime which is like the most oh, sacrilegious thing to do right because it's all, because yeah. the sublime should oh, be all about virginity sure. and sanctity and chastity yeah and not the penetration like this is a ladies and lads you know if you like tits watch these films oh yeah God. for no other reason if you want to watch some like erotic some great erotic cinema great tits lots of ass he's actually very good here because he um got also who's afraid of the male gaze our new tagline <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. we are really we finally found we're a loving. good tagline for this podcast <laughs> on itunes and spotify and, and we're, we're doing it now and we I'm are now we challenge you who is afraid of the male because we will just sit here we're both straight men we talk about boobs we'll just we'll Do just that. be we're not afraid anymore <laughs> <Out the closet. laughs> but no truly like but he for here he isn't like you might think okay well in a lot of his films it's like the the woman is is the object of desire um and is depicted naked often but men are men are equally shown very naked in these films particularly prenon carmen we see like you said there's a scene where he kind of goes into the shower that's his humiliation but there's a scene He's where he just touches her cunt you know Mm, for sure it's so this extraordinary i mean i yeah. was sort of like you kind of touch these people's bodies with your eyes yeah and then then you watch men touch them with their hands it's mm. very like it's 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 deeply horny what he's doing oh for sure like yeah, yeah. but it's just very the grabbing and the touching and the like this the kissing the, the, the gray the grazing and the 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 People are not in, um, maybe even in the 60s, but his films in the 60s, but here, love is not given, you know, there is never a scene where love is completely uh, consensual and compassionate. You know, there might be, there's a kiss in uh, Prenum Carmen uh, towards the end when they're in the uh, hotel room before she abandons him. Oh, like a death kiss. Yeah, it's a bit like the end of Matador, you know, the kind of, yeah. the, sort of the tiny death and the, and, the, and the slightly bigger death more. coming at once. <laughs> um, but then there's a lot of um, a, a kiss will suddenly break into violence. They'll push each other over. They'll try and tear each other's clothes off. They'll push each other away. They'll grab each other's hair. The tenderness is always... It's always um, fraught. Because that's, grabs, that's fraught, yeah. what love is like. That's what heterosexuality for sure is like. 
Love it's is battlefield. F- Pat Benatar. Yeah. Sucking, fucking, and shucking. You know? Oysters. Can you uh, talk to me about Goddard himself? <laughs> talk to me about Goddard himself, because he appears in um, uh, Prenum Common. He appears in Prenum Common in the most inane way that I love. But it's it's just great, like, isn't it? Talk, it's so bizarre. What do you think that is? It's very nice of him to just position... I mean, he, he's playing himself as a filmmaker who's who's the uncle of, of this stunner um carmen um mm-hmm. and he's sorry he's sort of trying to ice it's a funny one where he's like trying to isolate himself in a mental asylum and playing this kind of father to what's going on he's very it's very charming it's very eccentric i think it's really honest i mm. think it's really like you know, Godard is Godard does the male leads in Godard's films are not usually the characters he, he would identify with. There's a funny passage yeah. I read somewhere that, um, or maybe it was on the the commentary on one of the files that if a character in 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 a Godard film is called Paul, that's the cipher for Godard, <laughs> and, really? and there are certain Pauls <laughs> that appear. Some of them are even called Paul Godard. Um, Isn't Perilafu a Paul? No, he's a Fernando. Is he Fernando? Of course he is. Um, but the Paul, oh. the Piccoli's character in Le Mepri, who's the filmmaker course, with the, with the, the actress, is, is called Paul. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, there are certain... And he, I think, I think Ga- Gabriel... Someone said Gabriel, Angel Gabriel, is more the, identi- the person he identifies with in Hail Mary rather than Joseph. Well, that but Gabriel does um, direct exactly, Mary yeah, in yeah. a film and often Joseph physically direct them. Um, it's whereas, weird because he... Um, yeah, go on. Uh, no, go on. You first. No, um, with with Goddard in this film, yeah, he he's trying to be in his mental home. He is supposedly working on the script, and there's a very caring uh, nurse who kind of becomes his kind of companion. Um, he's often with him, uh, while he kind of spouts this baffling nonsense. Often, funnily enough, commenting on his own cinematic legacy. And there's a bit where they talk about Mao, obviously. Goddard had a Maoist period in film famously. in the seventies, sadly, um, sadly, famously. Um, Whatever you think about it, but there's a bit where he says, "Oh, kind of got Mao, everyone's over Mao now. Mao's not interesting, but he was a good cook. He fed all of China." Um, <laughs> and there's these really great bits where he kind of comments on his own. This is Goddard, you know. Goddard's, you know, he's again being metafictional, metatextual, and putting himself in his film and it's self-aware as film. It goes back to that Woolen article where, you know, you see the camera, you see the shadow of the boom. That's Goddard. Yeah, but it's such production. so much more class the way he does so it in much, these films. He's, he's grown, he's all grown up. He's he's learned how oh, to do what Woolen is saying you know in was, the 70s well. I was thinking yeah. last week or this week, the other day, um, I was we were very harsh on Goddard's political turn. But mm. I did spend three years working for Navarra Media and, <laughs> I, and a bit, I worked for Corbyn and the UK Black Lives Matter. I'm not showing off here. I worked for loads of woke activity groups this as, a, a, as, a, as a videographer, which is basically mm. like, that's not really, I mean, that's not really any we worse all have than, that, what, but than what Goddard was doing. Like try, start no. trying to use your technical skills to like change the world through that's like, part of youth i, I distrust propaganda. anyone who doesn't have yeah that on their on their it's resume, just weird that know? he had that after making a bunch of sick films in the 60s yeah I but just that, think- was, that was why he did it because he was you know his his critique he realized his critique of hollywood his deconstruction of hollywood films like peril of Fu and weekend was too indebted still to to these imperialist um, hollywood imperialist worldview the moss film hollywood moss film complex you know yeah. these he called it like it was too indebted to that so if he, he he was sincere truly believed what he was doing um so had to destroy further so one but of the, the master's why tools must be used when you're a film must be used. this is our, this is our new tagline the, <laughs> masters, the master's tools. we don't really care about dismantling the master's house we quite like it and also use the master's tools <laughs> <laughs> what i like to do at the end of the day is thanks, I'll come audrey. Back from work. i like to hang the master's thanks audrey i like to hang the master's tools on the wall of my master's house. Um, no, I, it's it's weird because he, yeah, he had. Have a feel he realised he needed to go. <laughs> he needs to go deeper. He needed to deconstruct further. What I like about Godard, why he's one of my favourite filmmakers, is because he's completely sincere. He was willing to. De- it would have been very easy for Godard to continue making films out of Lemapri, and people would have said, Godard is an accomplished, mature filmmaker who makes serious art house films about 
meaning and uh, love and anguish and that yeah we love that we that's great here's here's a palm door but he was like no i'm gonna completely fucking obliterate i'm gonna carpet bomb my all i've done for the last 10 years i'm gonna mm. destroy that i'm gonna break it apart and i'm gonna come back and what does he do he comes back in the 80s 83 to 93 and he makes some of he makes masterwork after masterwork to do like yeah. fucking Prenum Carmen, Hail Mary, two years apart. Most nobody could ever do that now. Like no one is creating films of that quality, that caliber, that much beauty, and still be that experimentally daring. Um, because to watch them, they are they were regular. Like I think again, you mentioned the scene where uh, he goes into the to- into the shower with her, and this is kind of rape scene almost. But it's so simultaneously violent, shocking, beautiful, pathetic, uh, sublime. Yeah. Um, who who the fuck else could do that man like no no one can do that no one can do that he's operating on a level he was operating on a level far above anyone else for far longer I respect that he blew his shit up came back and did better it's a good lesson on everyone who's uh, in a creative rut just destroy what you're doing Um, I mean and also like so amazing that like I I'm torn between you. So your top ten Godard, your f- film by Godard that's in your top ten is Hella. Hella's Pomar. I respect that. It's not in mine. Sure. I'm torn between Pranam Carmen and Hail Mary. I put Hail Mary in my top mm. ten the other day, but I think we have. But for listeners, we have this odd ritual with this WhatsApp group we're in of making lists of top ten films that we sometimes mm-hmm. change. Um, and I added. I took Viva Civi out, um, and I added. You love Viva Civi as well. I love Viva Sevilla, but when I but when I saw, I saw slightly less. I slightly I was slight when I saw the God of political films. I I liked Viva Sevilla a bit less because I realised that he started when he did all those stats about prostitution during the bit where she decides mm. to be a hooker. I realised he was like learning how to make propaganda in Viva Sevilla, and it made me like Viva yep. Sevilla less. But I love Viva Sevilla. <laughs> Viva Sevilla is so tender and beautiful. It's so and, good. And so tender. However, Hail Mary is hey, it, hail mary, mary. like t- with top 10s you can't just put like the fe- the top fe- the top the, you can't just put the films you most want to watch all the time or you can't just yeah. put like almost the that. best films like you have to have some area er- er- of like representation not like in a diversity way necessarily but like representation of like what you feel cinema can do and like i really yes. want i in my top 10 i really want to i want to point to these two films, Prenom Carmen and Hail Mary that we're discussing tonight. Mm. And I want to say like, I love cinema because cinema can do this. Yeah. That's the function of a, of a list actually. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's, again, it comes back to that question of there are certain filmmakers who, uh, again, Tarkovsky being the kind of golden child in a way. And a lot of people talk about Tarkovsky and there's a lot of disagreement over which Tarkovsky film is the most superior? Pretty much everyone agrees that Solaris is his weakest film. Yeah. Um, I think that's very fair. Except the people who say it's their favourite. <laughs> exactly, apart from people who say who are fucking wrong. Um, but for me, uh, Sacrifice for me was the closest to the sublime um, mm. and anguished for Tarkovsky. Um, but you feel differently because your mirror? Well, actually, I, 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 it's Stalker, but I was thinking of switching to Mirror. Mm. Um, I mean, bec- mirrors is for not more films because again, I think mirror is is closer to what I what my ambition for mm. cinema is. Mirror is like more startling, more devastating, more extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, whereas Stalker is just is a bit more conventional. You know, it's still it like is, quite yeah. unconventional. But the more, like, th- more we think about Stalker, it is a conventional. But it's a lot of people's access points to Tarkovsky yeah, in their yeah. art film, um, and the, the value of that, the 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 amount of like. But they're both bold films, actually. It's, I mean, I would like to. I, I think it is like the best. The, the best films are these films that like try and do something that just. You, if someone said to you at a party, "Oh, I'm going to do a remake of um, Hail Mary," and it's like you know, she gets. You know, it's a gas station. To, you know, people yeah. are like, "What the fuck?" You know, <laughs> like, like, if the, and the same with Stalker. Oh, I'm going to do a film about these guys that go to to place and every any wish they want happens in the place, and it's a bit of a struggle. Yeah, thing or like, or mirror. Oh, I'm just going to do like bits from my childhood and some other stuff that's quite beautiful. You can't reduce these films to blurbs, so I am anti. You know, like anyone would just be like, "Oh, that sounds now. like a bit crap." You're probably going to fail. You know, like it's that yeah. level of like mad ambition that creates mm. these works that are, that are just simply unforgettable. Well, this is it. And, and even when, um, 
we talked a while back maybe about um the the stranglehold of an adaptation you know a straight a any adaptation that tries to kind of exactly copy the story will probably be bound to fail um because it is trying to be a thing it's not it is what Bresson mm. called like you know almost the stranglehold the terror of theater you know it says films mm. dependence on theater and you could say films dependence on literature is another thing it's like um but you can be like that thing you can speak to it you know tarkovsky with the stalker the Strugatsky's novel is nothing like stalker the film absolutely not at all they're not even comparable you know largely because stalker has one joke in it whereas <laughs> roadside picnic is full of jokes it's a funny book it's like the heinlein era of panther science fiction it is funny um it's a yeah funny when book. i read i read the stalker book after having seen stalker like six times um mm. and counting um and um i didn't it's one of the rare occasions of reading an adaptation after a film and not picturing the film at all yeah like all of the imagery which I was is imagining, testament was like a different film yeah. totally different you can't they're not even comparable which is great but yeah to, to take it back to Godard yeah, Godard is an, an adapter at this period um, yeah he's like fascinated by the big stories the big stories which is great because like what the film is the perfect medium to tackle the big stories because you've got quite a lot of um, you could you can activate a couple of sensors at once which is more than a book can do uh, Walter Ong fuck off there is only one sense with a book which is eyesight um <laughs> But the, you know, it's you. You can activate a couple of senses at the same time. You've got the canvas. The whole world is your canvas. Um, it's the study of humans or people. That's what film really is. Um, people in place and people among other people. That's really what it is. But I mean, yeah, that's that's what's so appealing about Godard at this time. And you know, we, we struggle to talk about Helen Pomoir, and I kind of don't want to talk about it anymore because there's not really much to say. It is, you know, ultimately, um, a lot of the film rests on a a deconstructive approach to narrative because it's really about what really happened did it questions whether the central conceit of the film happened which is whether god did fuck the woman in this guy's form that's kind of the the mm. central problematic of it um was it was it you or was it him capital was it h in, him yeah capital him um <laughs> his tumescent majesty i, I do um, I, I do want to say something i do want to do yes. a shout out to um the short film that that frequently precedes Hail Mary, yes. the Book of Mary, by Anne Marie <laughs> Mierville. Um, there are low, you know, one doesn't because he was working with her quite a lot um, and living with her. Um, they collaborated on a few things together, and I think she wrote. I think she wrote Pranam Carmen or. Yeah, she or, was a writer for Pranam Carmen. She might yeah. also have been a. She was the editor of um, Hail Mary as well. Well, yeah, all of this is to say, like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to speculate which way the influence went. I think they were clearly quite a big influence on each other. Like, I didn't, I didn't realize. I don't think you, you realized either while watching mm. the Book of Mary until it had finished that it was a, a discrete piece no. by a different director. Um, now that I know that, I can sort of see certain differentiations. But like, it is such a beautiful short film. Fuck yes, it is extraordinary. Yeah. I, I mean. It is you, such you were really taken by the dance scene, weren't the you? The Marla dance scene at the end is like this amazing, like organic, unselfconscious piece of expression by a child actor who's completely like in the zone. It's shot with such gorgeous restraint. The color hues of the whole thing are just so warm and mm. and brown and green and natural. And the way it handles this you know classic story of a of two parents you know separating and handling a child um is in a short space of time you know when i talk about short films we had an episode about short films we did yeah short films fucking suck not because you can't make not because you can't make a (laughs) good film in that space of time but because people try and cram things that shouldn't, shouldn't be in that size into that size or they just sort of abandon any attempt to say something filmic at all mm. um and what this film does which i it just seems makes it look so easy it's just a short film it's just you know some compelling drama that only lasts 25 minutes, minutes 25 minutes yeah and it and it's and it's there and it happens and it 
tees up Hail Mary so well, not least because the main character, the child, is called Mary, and you have some kind of feeling that she might you grow up to be, this is, be the yeah, Mary be in the, the film. Although, 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 childhood. it's not that she's not that Mary, but she's it's, not. No. It's sort of there in some way. Um, she actually much feels a bit like the, the. She feels a little bit like the. Um, uh, the angel. She's different actors, mm. but like the the angel's assistant, the little child. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, the parallel between them is this precocious child because she she kind of quotes Baudelaire, and she she interacts with her parents through these kind of um, again quite Godardian, you know, the the, the metatextual nature of Godard, where the words in your world are not enough. Mm. Um, the failure of, of of communication is that you rely on established texts and genres and things. So the kid is often like quoting precociously, quoting quoting you know um, things far too clever for their age. I mean, that's the mad thing. I don't know, and I don't. I haven't. I've literally not read a book ever. So all of this literature stuff. <laughs> this isn't a literate. It's kind of kind of lost on me. <laughs> this uh, isn't true. All this, but like, all this reading shit. But like I don't. You know, you've read a lot more than I have, and and a lot of these references. Maybe. You know, but it's still it's still. I still manage to absorb some of that beauty, mm. and I think yeah, you don't need you don't need to, you didn't need to almost. It's need sort of like when I read the Wasteland. You know, I really loved yeah. the Wasteland when I first read it, and I didn't know mm. what any of the references were to. I just thought they all sounded still bangs. The words just sounded good, you know. But I know that like as years go on, and I sort of find out more about the stories that these films mm. are based on, and I have and also just have more life experience. I'll get more, even more out of those films. They are, yeah, it's true of Tarkovsky's work as well. Um, like the best films, you look forward to seeing them again in five years time. Yes. When you've lived five more years <coughs> and you've read and, and watched and listened to five more years yeah, of I, beautiful I, you music, know, films and books. When I first, uh, you're right, you know, when I first saw Tarkovsky, I think, uh, when I saw Stalker, which again was my first Tarkovsky, I wasn't there for the sublime Tarkovsky or the Tarkovsky that's trying to talk to God, um, the holy Tarkovsky. Um, I was there for kind of the the cool premise in a way, you know, this wasteland. This you're there for the uh, effect um, mm-hmm. rather than the impulse behind it. The 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 actual real premise, which is like the inability to to really seize what you want or to identify what you want, which is what the film's really about, right? And in a horror, the horror of saying about. Um, there's a really good quote actually from I um there's lots of good quotes um from uh there's a couple of things um in in Prenum Carmen um Godard himself says and his assistant well nurse writes it down he says beauty is only the start of bearable terror and the idea of Godard's bearable terror is way more interesting to me than the idea of controlled chaos this is bearable terror I like to kind of flip those things out. Wait, so wh- yeah. how does what's controlled chaos in relation? Well, we're talking about in the kind of the weekend. It's it's yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a a staged phenomenon that is absurd and and slipping, constructed, and orchestrated, constructed, orchestrated, but also really violent and unpredictable. Mm. But here, it's kind of the alternative: is bearable terror, and that's life. Life is bearable terror. It's something we do, and most people choose don't choose the kind of as it were easy or difficult way out. Most people kind of stick through until they die. And every day it presents things that are filled with terror. Um, decisions about your job, um, you know, relationships. Um, what are you doing, like, with your life? That's the terror. The bearableness is you living it. And what makes you persevere? Beauty? Kind of failed grasp at the sublime sunset. Um, mist passing over the mountain, you know. Uh, the taste of coffee. I don't know. Like that, that's the bearable terror. That ambivalence. And that that is Godard. He's oh, he, you're such a poet. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking call me that. I'm actually Rupi Cow. I'm Rupi Cow. That's um, the real reveal of this. Is uh, I am Rupi Cow. Thank you very much. Um, there's a, there's another line actually in in in, in Rupi Cow Carmen, in, in milk and honey. In, in milk and honey. <laughs> Um, milk me honey um, which is <laughs> which is uh, the thing that other, a lot of people say it's repeated so the refrain of the film in Pranam Carmen is uh, regardez-moi look at me people keep saying it to each other look mm. at me and it's said so many times I was like you know you know, at first you're like okay this once but it's, it's kept fucking happening we've um, got to wrap up soon I think we have but that's the terror there's so much in these films in a way that was so little really so much like epiphenomenal content in like 
um, the revolutionary period in these films because again this is the value of sublime film a film that tries to be sublime there is so much here all of life is here um, yeah extraordinary Shit. films I, I really um, I really implore listeners to seek out these films all three of them Pranam mm. Carmen Hail Mary including the little short by his wife not wife partner whatever um, yeah, the short is important and Helos Pomoir um, from 1993 torrent them um, <laughs> I know he's still alive but um, there isn't really any other way to like if you live in America you can get the Blu-rays but um, yeah or but, Criterion Collection online like the Criterion Channel whatever it's called do they have I them? Uh, I don't know I think, I, the, I think other no I think other organisations have the rights to these films is it Galmont whoever distributes Galmont distribute three, I think I Studio know. Canal have them but I don't know they're sort no of, no they are they must be Studio Canal actually thinking yeah because yeah, of that beautiful I'm so used sting it's such a better opening than the Criterion Channel's kind of silent oh the little wheel the only other one that really stirs me is the Moss film oh of course it stirs like the heroic fucking tanky <laughs> no, I'm Ricky Cow. Um, um, joining us next week to discuss mm-hmm. another set of films uh, made in 1980s France, uh, the films of Maurice Piala, is um, poet Paige Murphy, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking forward to that very much. Uh, yeah. We'll be reviewing. Oh, yeah. I think we should tell people which films we're reviewing next week so that they can watch them. Yeah, we're um, going to do that, do we? Yeah, uh, spill. We're watching Anos Amor and Enfance Nue, Naked Childhood. Um, be careful about Googling that. Yeah, um, I'm really suggesting that. And um, go for the French <laughs> Enfance Nue and be- put the director's <laughs> Then you'll be name. on a French fucking pedo uh, list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't have pedo lists because they're, they're in It's favorite, encouraged. They're in you get the Légion d'honneur. <laughs> the, list, the list is a, is a, commenda- a list of commendations. <laughs> Macron comes to your house, shakes your hand. <laughs> um, and Sula Soleil de Satan, uh, which was booed yeah. at, at Cannes for winning the Palm d'Or. It's a very good film, actually, that one. That's the one I've seen. So. Oh, is it? You've seen it? Great. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that very much. I might watch it tonight. Um, thank you for listening, listeners. Uh, watch Mid-Career Goddard. Never lose hope. Hands face place space bum